on today's show. Oftentimes, churches are reactive in their approach to identifying who it is that are going to the field rather than being proactive and calling out the called, so to speak. And so if if we are identifying and then assessing well, because again, the local church is going to know their members best, more so than an agency will. Certainly the agency is going to be able to, to poke and prod and lean in in particular places, but the church is going to see them day in and day out. Stay tuned. Greetings and welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, here again as always with the ever-illustrious Scott W. Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, here we are again with our friend Ryan Martin. We've had two Ryan Martins on the show. Yes, not one, but two. And this yeah. is the other one. And this is a, and this is the second time. So we could call this Ryan Martin part three if we wanted to. But uh, Ryan, it's good to have you back on the show. Ryan is, serves as, as the director of missions for Lightbearers Ministry. Uh, he had served for 13 years as a missions pastor and has written extensively on on missions and, and uh, supporting uh, missionaries. And uh, you can find a lot of his writing on the Upstream Collective, which we really appreciate and uh, enjoy. And uh, he's written a new book, uh, a new book called Holding the Rope. And so, Ryan, welcome to welcome back on the show and excited to have you come back and talk about your book. Well, great to be here. Like introduction said, my name's Ryan. I've been working for Light Bears now for a little over a year and a half. Previously, was on staff for 13 years at a local church here in Fayetteville and am married to Rebecca. We'll be married 12 years this November, and we have three kids, uh, nine, seven, and four-year-olds. So obviously busy with uh, with family, and uh, fall baseball is in full swing, uh, so helping to coach my, my son's team, and uh, excited to be traveling here in a little over a week to visit some partners on the field and, and help care for them and support and encourage them as they seek to, to labor for the gospel. So it, it isn't a stretch for us to imagine why you wrote this book, being a missions pastor and now ser- serving in a in a missions organization. But walk us through that. What led you to write this particular book right now? Sure. I think a lot of it stemmed from just 13 years as a missions pastor. And when I came on staff at that church, we had a number of missionaries that were on our direct support list. And really uh, began over the course of time as I got to know them and got to know their work. You know, that list began to uh, shrink somewhat uh, in part just because we began to fine tune just our mobilization and and partnership in terms of of who we were working with, where we were working, just recognizing that we wanted to be more faithfully accountable to our supported workers on the field, but also wanted our church to relationally be bought in to them as well and help support and undergird their work not just to see their names on a list and ever increasingly wanting to be a church that was not just supporting, but also sending. And so it was a case where over the course of probably my first five or six years, we began to see that that list slowly shrink and um, began to see our partnerships positively deepen over the course of, of that time and even began to see a runway and pipeline built uh, to be able to send our own. And then as we began to send more and more of our folks, not only short-term, but then also seeing many go mid-term and, and long-term, began to just recognize the importance of missionary care 
that can quickly be reduced to just on the field care, if even that. You know, many churches, I think, tend to punt the aspect of missionary care and supporting to the agency rather than seeing it as kind of a holistic approach to supporting not only on the field, but then also pre-field. And then once even a missionary comes off the field, be that for a stateside assignment or retirement, or even um, at times where there's been uh, issues of sin that that need to be dealt with. And Mm -hmm. so I really wanted to begin to, to build out not only that sending pipeline, but within that to be able to provide our church an opportunity to see their role in sending and supporting those that we're sending out, not only our members, but others that we came alongside of. Ryan, what's the structure of the book? What, how, how do you lay it out? Because it's not the first book on sending and supporting missionaries. And, and so what's that core idea and how do you unpack that throughout the book as it progresses? Sure. Yeah, I wanted to really uh, begin just with a biblical foundation, theological foundation to begin really with the why. Uh, what does scripture have to say about missionary care? It's not just practically good, but it's actually biblically grounded. And so right. we look at Third John 5 through 8 really as the pre-field missionary care text as John is exhorting Gaius and the church that he's writing to there and that Gaius is, is helping to lead for sending and supporting for the sake of the name and the importance of sending out missionaries faithfully and and fruitfully and in in abundance as they're going out to proclaim the gospel. But then also, too, looking at that on-the-field care as it's related to us in Philippians 2, verses 25 to 30, as Paul is sending uh, his missionary companion, Epaphroditus, back to the church at Philippi as the church at Philippi sent him to serve and support Paul while he was on the field in a way that sacrificed himself and his resources and the church's resources as well. But then thirdly, looking at that post-field care in terms of Acts 14, verses 26 to 28, where Paul and Barnabas return back from the field and report back to the church at Antioch all that the Lord had done in opening a door of faith for the Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. And it says there that they spent no little time, meaning that they spent an abundance of time with that church because there was great accountability that they felt to the church and and vice versa. And so wanting to share with them and speak back into the life of that church. So that's really section, section one. Section two then really walks through ministry foundations, which explore and really answer the question, what is the role of the church? And then also what is the role of the agency? Uh, but it takes a unique approach in looking at the vantage point of not only missionaries on the field, but also agency representatives, and then three churches of varying sizes, a small, a medium, and a large size mm. church, just to be able to see that it doesn't matter what size church you are, you can provide adequate missionary care for those that you mm. that you send in support. But then also uh, within that ministry foundation section, I unpack what are gaps in care, as it relates to various demographics of people on the field, and then what are pathways for partnership between the church and the agency and ways that they can communicate more effectively to know really kind of a triangular approach of missionary, sending church, and agency, and how all three entities have to work together. Then I close the book out with a uh, suggestive missionary care strategy that unpacks pre-field, on-field, and post-field care resources I kind of synthesized my findings in speaking with those missionaries, churches, and agencies, and then pulled uh, upstream content and helped to put forth 
a strategy that churches of any size could take bits and pieces of or really take it from start to finish and utilize in their own context. That's so helpful. And uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to take our mission team through through this book. I have a couple of questions related to the gaps area. Sure. Like you mentioned a couple of things, you know, you talked about small churches, medium churches, and large churches. Our church is a small church. We get pretty excited if we have 80 on a Sunday morning, and yet we want to punch above our weight in the area of missions. Uh, what are you seeing in some of the gaps, particularly as it relates to small churches, medium churches, and large churches? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. You know, I think uh, as I looked at gaps, I looked at it more so from the angle of uh, singles and couples, and then particularly even women. So, you know, there's a mm. uniqueness to singles going on the field, just their stage of life. There's certainly a lot that they're able to do just because they don't have a family to have to provide for and, and take care of even while they're on the field, but yet being able to fold them into an already existing team and just uh, avenues of, of loneliness that they can incur and, and other uniqueness to just their stage of life on the field. Certainly with women too, just in terms of, you know, what what role uh, do they play is maybe they're going onto a church planting team. Obviously they're not going to be the elders of that church or, or to help, you know, raise up elders, but, you know, they, they play a unique role in terms of ministry to, to women and even unique job and skill sets that they can provide. And then also looking at couples and, and even families, particularly with, with MKs, and uh, just where marriages tend to suffer or can suffer on the field, as well as the way that uh, MKs oftentimes fall through the cracks and adequate care is not provided for them as they are following really in the, in the footsteps of their parents and, and their parents' call to the field. So those were kind of generally speaking some of the gaps that I found. I think uniquely with gaps, Scott, to answer your question related to small, medium, and, and larger sized churches, you know, I think oftentimes small churches tend to think that, hey, I don't, I don't have the resources that a larger church would, so how can I go about providing uh, missionary care? And I think that's just where utilizing things like small groups or uh, Sunday school classes, Bible fellowship classes, whatever you might term them mm-hmm. in your context, and setting up advocacy teams and really supporting fewer, but supporting those fewer at a deeper level. And I would say that that ought to be the case, whether you're a small church or a, or a larger church, medium-sized church, just from the vantage point of, you know, I don't think the Lord is impressed with our mission success based upon the number of pins that are poked into a map or flags that we have hanging on our, mm-hmm. in our missions display in as much as he is with just the faithfulness um, with which we're supporting our, our missionaries and going deep. Mm-hmm. And so, whether that's one unit or whether that's 25 units, we need to, to show that uh, we're being faithful. And so I think just even seeing that whether you're a small church or a large church, there are resources right. in place to be able to provide such care. That's a good word, right? It's about the depth, not just the breadth and the number of places that you're reaching. Another one of the weird factors that comes up as I lead our church's missions team, Scott's involved in his, as, as we're doing this, there's this dance between the local church and the agency, and especially with the need to care for missionaries, maybe the need to step in when there's a problem, or even just the ongoing nurturing and, and support. There's a little bit of, uh, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Should I assume that the agency is already touching base with them on a regular basis? Is the agency assuming that I'm shepherding them at a certain level? And we certainly don't want to assume that each other are doing the care work, the holding of the rope. And then in reality, neither one of us is doing that. What does the ideal dance and relationship between not just 
the missionary and the church, but then the two sets of hands holding the rope, the church and the agency look like for you, Ryan. I just got to say, I can't get Garth Brooks's The Dance out of my head as you were saying that. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, we could have missed the pain, but then we would have had to miss the dance. So, sorry, total nonsense. Well, now it's Go in ahead, mine, Ryan. too. <laughs> I think that that dance, uh, so to speak, is is one that really begins pre-field. I think this is where, you know, even as I spoke to missionaries on the field, this was a particular area of missionary care that they felt like across the board, you know, I've uh, interviewed probably eight or so uh, missionary units, and many, of, if not most of them, maybe with the exception of one, came back and said that they wish there had been more pre-field training. And part of that is establishing, mm-hmm. one, the church, local church's role in assessing and really identifying and then equipping their own missionaries. And so I think... Can I cut in real quick there? I just want everyone to hear what you just said. Missionaries looking back wish they had had more pre-field training. There, there's so much emphasis on, all right, let's let's simplify, let's streamline, right? If you're someone, even right now, counting the cost of joining the field, but you're, ah, I don't know if I can budget out all this time to get ramped up. People looking back are wishing they had more training, not just for life on the field, but for how they interact with their church. Yeah. Nobody on pre-field wants the training. It's just when you get there, you're yeah. like, oh man, I need it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good, Ryan. That's right. <laughs> Thank so, you. you know, I think it's a case where oftentimes churches are reactive in their approach to identifying who it is that are going to the field rather than being proactive and calling out the called, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And so if, if we are identifying and then assessing well, because again, the local church is going to know their members best more so than an agency will. Certainly the agency is going to be able to to poke and prod and lean in in particular places, but the church is going to see them day in and, and day out. And so I think that's hugely important. And then I think even, just from the equipping side of things, certainly the agency is going to come with a unique set and toolkit of, of resources just because very likely they have people in place that have been on the field, that know the challenges, that know the uniqueness to, to life on the field that maybe a, a church isn't afforded. But nevertheless, I think that's where the church, too, from particularly a biblical and theological foundation, is going to be able to help ground that individual or, or couple or family, what have you best in terms of just the ethos and what they want their missionaries to know, to be, and to do. And I think Mm -hmm. part of that, a real practical tool, is making sure that the church is early on in communication with the agency. So as we're assessing and identifying and equipping our own members, recognizing, okay, this particular agency is going to be best served for this family to go with just based upon where this family is called to, what people group they're passionate about, what region of the world, maybe what skill set, you know, are they going to be more the pioneering church planting type? Are they more the marketplace missionary? And then making sure that that's lined up. But then also, too, I think having early on communication with the field team uh, such that the church is able to have that relationship and rapport already built. And then from that, I think developing out even ascending covenant between the missionary, the church, and the missionary team and the agency that is kind of a unique standalone document from what maybe the agency is going to put forth as an MOU mm-hmm. to be able to just very simply, I mean, it shouldn't be, but maybe a couple pages in length, but it just very simply and very straightforwardly outlines what each entity, what each side of, of the coin or each side of that triangle, if you will, is going to do in terms of expectations 
in that partnership. Ryan, let me cut in real quick with a question about that. Now, you used a key word there, covenant, Mm -hmm. ascending covenant between the missionary and the church. I was just talking with a listener, and the question came up, how do we handle church membership? We love the local church. We believe membership matters. When a missionary is sent out, do they retain their membership? Do they lose their membership in the church? I don't know if I have all of the perfectly thought through answers on that, but one thing that I did say to this individual is that, well, it's, it's not losing a relationship to be sent out from a church. It's the change from one covenantal arrangement to another covenant. It's a change from a membership covenant to ascending covenant, but there's still a covenantal sort of bond there with the church. How do you sort that out? Like you, I don't know that I have, have all the you know perfect answers. Some agencies might require that unit to re- uh, retain their membership at their, at their sending church all the while, you know, having deep involvement, if not term it membership at, you know, at a receiving church. But certainly I think where those missionaries, once they reach the field, can join in covenant relationship with a receiving church, that's going to be super helpful. Now, I know that that can't be the case everywhere, particularly when you're in a pioneering setting and uh, that missionary team is, is for a, for a time being going to really be the church for one another. Mm -hmm. But I do know of examples where that missionary team has uh, even decided, hey, I mean, we, you know, may not be a church that are, are going to necessarily formally unite, say, with the Southern Baptist Convention or, or another denomination, but we are going to covenant together as a local church, even though we are a missionary team for the time being. So, you know, they wrote out a, a church covenant. They wrote out, you know, some just very simple kind of bylaws and practices, things like that. You know, they faithfully participated, you know, in the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, and then even as they would see new believers come to faith within that people group and within that context, would baptize them into that membership, and then even had elders amongst that team that were were serving. And then obviously, as that as the work there expanded, and you had indigenous that came to faith and were discipled and then raised up, certainly then you would you would pass on that leadership. But at least you had a semblance of a church that those uh, those new believers could could see and, and could help model. Mm, that's good. Yeah, those are just complicated, complicated relationships. And uh, I think that's, that's helpful to look at it that way. So in the time we have left, I, I would like you to just kind of walk us through because, you know, the, there's all these different components to that. But if we were to, to, to descending well and calling and, and receiving and all of that, if we were to start like at square one, my wife and I are a young couple thinking about going into missions um, all the way down to our retirement. What would a best case scenario of of care look like from from that first we met with our past where we want to go to the mission field all the way to we're retiring and and we're going to move to Florida. Sure. How does that look? <laughs> yeah. A full missionary life cycle, right? Yes, we're going to go live at Happy Acres uh down in Orlando area. Yeah, from Fiji back to Florida. Yep. So Yes. Yeah, so you know, I would commend obviously that couple for reaching out to their church first rather than kind of jumping in initially into some application process and benokes to their to their church uh look that happens a lot unfortunately yeah, yeah it does yep. happen a lot unfortunately but you know i think it's a case where again going to your leadership first and saying hey you know i'm i'm sensing this inward call do you affirm that call in me and, and allowing that church both in its membership and its leadership to assess uh, that couple well to be able to give them just some practical uh, outlets to be able to practice and, and put it into practice that ministry and that missionary call, you know, even in terms of international ministry there, 
within the the context of where they where they live already, seeking to evangelize on a regular basis, to disciple, to even hold some leadership opportunities, some teaching opportunities, small group leadership opportunities within the within the church context. Uh, and then as they work hand in hand with the agency, again, finding that right, that right mix of who to go with, where to go, that sort of thing, and, and working alongside the agency and that sending development. And then obviously the, the commissioning. And then as they reach the field, I think uh, that on the field care really takes shape in terms of both regular check-ins, both from uh, the missionary side of things. So they're, they're advocating and speaking back into the life of the church through regular updates and calls and Zoom calls and newsletters and the rest. I think even before the missionaries head off to the field, they've already established hopefully a, an advocacy team of folks that know them well, that can be those who they most closely kind of default to when it comes to struggles that they're facing or, hey, I want to report back, you know, uh, what the Lord's doing in our work. And then I think also, too, you know, where the, where the church is uh, and the church's leadership are continuing to, to hold the rope through opportunities of, of prayer and reporting to the church on their, on their sent ones. And then mm -hmm. uh, as they return back from the field, I think that advocacy team is going to be kind of that first wave of folks that will help even before they return back to prepare well for uh, that stateside assignment or retirement, what have you such that everything from logistics are taken care of to, hey, how are we going to work with this missionary family in, in debriefing, both from letting them share with the church at large, but then also as that family is able to post-field meet with the leadership of the church and to be able to just do a deep dive into things that are going well, things that didn't go so well. You know, how's your marriage doing? How's your family life doing? How are you doing spiritually, emotionally, physically, all the rest? Mm -hmm. And then you know, if it's if it's retirement, you know, how do we fold them back into the life of the church for the long term? You know, or if if it's even a stateside mm. assignment, yeah. six months to a year, you know, how do we fold them back into the church to where we're not overwhelming them uh, with responsibility, but yet utilizing them effectively to mobilize and to to speak back into the church? Amen. Well, this sounds like just a really good overview of what missionary care looks like. You know, we need to not only be sending missionaries, we need to be caring for them, shepherding them, pastoring mm -hmm. them, uh, building them up. Missionaries are people, right? They, they, they need involvement. They need somebody not only to send them down, but also someone to hold the rope for them. Mm -hmm. Ryan, how can people mm -hmm. get a hold of this book and learn more about this and some other things you've written too? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, it's found on the Upstream's website, upstreamcollective.org. Uh, you can go there and find the book there or go to Amazon. It also can be purchased there. And a lot of what I have written is on the Upstream Collective's website. I've also written for uh, Southeastern's Center for Great Commission Studies. And I know you guys at ABWE have even taken some of my writings and posted it there on, on your blog as well, for which I'm grateful. So, yeah. That's right. Yes. You're a good writer, Ryan. We appreciate your yeah. thoughtfulness. It's so helpful. And uh, may your tribe increase. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on, Ryan. And we thank you, watchers and listeners, all of you out there, all 12 of you. <laughs> we, we thank you for watching and listening to the Missions Podcast, which is a ministry of ABWE. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com or go to abwe.org to learn more about our parent organization. Of course, we also appreciate your support. You can pay it forward by 
going to missionspodcast.com slash support, and that helps advance the show. But also you can leave us a positive rating and a five-star review in your platform of choice that will help get this content in front of others who can see it and be blessed by it. Well, until next week's conversation, thank you for watching and listening and go care for your missionaries. Bye-bye.